morning and welcome to The Skinny. I'm your co-host, Mitch Perry, reporter of the Fort of Phoenix, joined by my colleagues, Ray Roa from Creative Loafing. Hello, how are you doing? Ben Montgomery from Axios Tampa Bay. Nice job, Ray. <laughs> and also with Justin Garcia from Creative Loafing. Hello. Hey, thank you all for joining us. And coming up on the show later in the program, we're going to be joined by special guests Deanna and Andrew Joseph. They're the parents of the late Andrew Joseph III. You may recall the tragic story of how Andrew Joseph III was attending a school district supportive event at the Florida State Fair back in 2014 when he was with, with friends, when he was ejected uh, by Hillsborough County Sheriff deputies and ultimately killed when he was leaving uh, the park on Interstate 4. Uh, the family's long court battle against the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office uh, for wrongful death of their son concluded last September where a jury awarded them $15 million in damages. So we'll be talking to them in the second half of the show. But first, we want to get you uh, in on some issues on the news of this week, and we want to get get you in the conversation as early as possible. So let's give out the phone number right now. It's 813-239-9663. You can also write to us at dj at wmnf.org. And also, we want to tell you a quick reminder, next week, uh, we're fundraising. Again, we've only been on here a few weeks. But hey, that's the way the calendar works. So we're going to be asking for your financial contribution. So if you've just uh, been tuning in the, f- the first couple of weeks here, you like what you hear, um, be great next week to hear from you uh, for a financial contribution. That's certainly the way that WMNF works as a community radio station and has since 1979. But it's also not going to be just pure uh, fundraising. We're going to, uh, in the middle of the show, we're going to have a debate, a 20-minute debate uh, and the hottest race in the Tampa City Council races, I think most people believe it is, and that is the District 4 seat race between incumbent Bill Carlson and challenger Blake Casper. So that will take place next week as well. We'll do some fundraising the before the beginning of the show, then we'll have the debate and then come back and, and, and do that uh, some more fundraising at the end of the show. But uh, so to, please tune in for next week uh, when we do that. Okay, so a couple of things we want to get on the, on the table here before we move on. And let's talk about, uh, if we could, Andrew Warren, the uh, embattled former state attorney of Hillsborough County. Well, I guess he's still, he's a suspended state attorney. Uh, anyway, he made a couple of legal announcements this week about his situation. He certainly he still wants his job back, so yesterday he asked the Florida Supreme Court to reinstate him, arguing that the governor, Ronald DeSantis, had exceeded his powers by ousting him last fall. And of course, you, I think most listeners know Warren filed a federal lawsuit challenging his ouster after DeSantis suspended him back in August for saying he was going to uh, commit certain, uh, do certain things that basically were against his job when talking about uh, not prosecuting abortion cases, uh, being one of them. Uh, so the judge, the federal judge in that case, this trial, there's a three day trial that I believe was in early December. Uh, the judge came out uh, last month and ruled that the suspension. Uh, violate the Florida Constitution and the U.S. Constitution, but uh, the judge, Robert Hinkle, said that he, he lacked the authority to reinstate Warren, so Warren on Tuesday notified the court that he intends to appeal the decision to the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, and again, um, if, if any of you guys remember that, the 59-page, uh, I think it was, brief that came out, the judge is slammed to Santa, said he was totally out of bounds. It was a violation of his First Amendment, Warren's First Amendment rights. Uh, of his, uh, it was against the um, state constitution. But he just simply did not have the jurisdiction to bring him back in. Uh, and I guess, you know, the question is, legally, I mean, what do you think? It does not look really good for him legally at this, at this point. I mean... I don't know that DeSantis has much of an appetite for carrying what looks good legally and whatnot. You know, we, I don't want to switch gears too much, but talking about new news about his migrant flights and, and what's allowed and what's not now after he kind of was looking like he was going to be in hot water. And, and you make the point that Hinkle pretty much said, hey, he did it. This is bad. 
um, I can't do anything about it. Um, yeah, Warren it, says yeah. the governor uh, ignored his request to be reinstated. Um, so now he's going to ask a Florida Supreme Court um, to do it. But he's kind of in an uphill battle, right? And, and by the way, so I want to read the story from uh, Derek Camp from the New Service of Florida that uh, CL Tampa put on their site yesterday. And uh, she writes that the Supreme Court, this is not a good precedent for the, the Supreme Court. Um, they've unanimously refused to reinstate former Ukulosa Okalosa, a county superintendent of schools, Mary Beth Jackson, and former Broward County Sheriff Scott Israel, after DeSantis stripped them of their posts. Um, uh, the court, uh, I believe they said at that time, had a limited role in reviewing the exercise of the suspension power, which the Constitution commits to the governor and which inherently involves judgment and discretion. Uh, and so there, in that story, the story, the uh, New Service of Florida quoted Nick Primrose, a former deputy general counsel for DeSantis. Uh, who said basically, um, as the lead attorney defending Governor DeSantis' authority to suspend both Mary Beth Jackson and Scott Israel, uh, I can say with high confidence this political stunt will be met with the same fate, suspension upheld by the Constitution. So, you know, I, I did reach out to Andrew Warren's camp yesterday, and actually I'm doing a different st- a story for the Florida Phoenix Six week about uh, people running for office in 2024. And there's, you know, people thinking about Andrew Warren, like what is his situation here? And they basically came back and told me uh, the exact quote was, right now he is so solely focused on getting his job back. He honestly is not looking at anything else or thinking about any other options. Um, and, and that's a long time away, of course, the election 2024, right, year and a half away. This guy's not making any money right now, right? He's got a couple kids, family. Uh, he's been out, what, four or five months now. And I guess so it makes sense that you continue to pursue every legal option you have. You, you have to. But the, the window is closing. And I, I guess, you know, it made sense to go through the federal. Again, and, you know, I'm <laughs> saying on the top here, if anybody wants to call in who's a, a lawyer, maybe we can talk more about this. 813-239-9663 um, is a number if you'd rather email us. It's dj at wmnf.org. So, yeah, I mean. I'd, I'd love to hear from someone. Who, I'd love to hear from uh, a caller who can defend this move for DeSantis, uh, who thinks this was uh, an appropriate move to uh, usurp the twice elected Democratic uh, state attorney. How? What's? I haven't heard a valid defense of this yet. And it's interesting to call somebody uh, who represented DeSantis call this a stunt, right? Um, you know, everything is symbolic, and it's funny, we watched Hadestown, I don't think you have to go to Hadestown, but at the end, you know, it doesn't end the way you wanted to, but we say, why do you keep fighting? Because, you know, you have to fight, even if you don't win um, at the end. It's it's very symbolic for him, and you're right, you know, what are his plans? What's he going to run for? Would he run again? Would he be well, that's suspended what, you know, that's again? That's what I said, actually, the immediate after, when this happened back in August, um, you know, because if nothing else, you know, not knowing how this would play out legally, uh, but why not? I mean, if he could, if he could hold off. I mean, again, he may need to get a job before then uh, because he needs to fill, feed his family. But uh, it just seems like this, as you said, Ben. He was elected twice. In fact, you know, a lot of this, some of the stuff that was even mentioned. You know, of course, we had uh, Brian Dugan, the former Tampa police chief, who was at the press conference, which I was attended back at the sh- in August. Uh, Tra- Chad Quanister, Dugan was very outspoken. Right, he had definitely some issues. Uh, about I'm, I'm, I'm going to take issue though, Mitch, yeah. with you calling it a press conference because what I saw was not a press conference. It was more like a campaign rally. Did there, he allow any questions? Even he from did. Actually, press? I got to ask you to answer the question. There were like three or four questions asked. Yeah, there was a big phalanx of of of, of Chevrolet deputies. It was very intimidating that came out. It was really wild. If you guys remember the night before, his then press secretary, secretary Christine Pashaw, tweeted out that. 
the media is going to you know lose their heads on this, the liberal media. And yet, I, I will say, I saw Republicans in the audience there, and they were losing; they their jaws were dropped. I mean, that was such a shocking announcement when he did that, because it, it just, it, you know, he Rick Scott, of course, when he was governor, he suspended or he didn't suspend Aram uh, Sayawa, who was the Orange County District Attorney, when she said she was not going to pursue the death penalty against uh, a cop killing case. And the, the problem with with that. You know, because Kamala Harris said the same thing when she ran for office in California. But she, Kamala Harris said in advance of like when she was on the ballot, I'm not going to pursue death penalty cases. Aramis Ayala never said that when she ran. And so that was like, now I'm not going to do it. So Rick Scott suspended all type of those type of capital cases from her. But he never, you know, he didn't go as far as saying, you, I'm not going to allow you to do your job at all. Mm-hmm. Again, another example of, of what um, other governors have done and how DeSantis takes it much further. Uh, I interviewed, by the way, there's another story I want to talk about in a minute which is the uh, party chairs who are running for Republicans and Democrats the next couple of weekends here in Florida. But um, the, the Republicans, again, the ones, like one of the guys who's running for uh, party chair tomorrow, uh, Christian Ziegler, they love this. They say, like, again, that what DeSantis does is that he doesn't do what other Republicans maybe think about doing, but then their consultants or somebody says, you know, that's not going to play so well, so let's not do it. DeSantis just goes in that breach and says, you know, what the heck? And as I've said before, even on the show, uh, he wins a lot of time. The, the Hinkle case is the classic example. The Warren case, Hinkle blows him out of the water, says you're so wrong on all this, but I can't change it. So even though, you know, it seems like if a fair person would say uh, DeSantis really uh, overreached here, uh, it looks like he's going to win this situation. He's got, uh, what's his name? Her name, Susan Lopez, I think is, is Correct. yeah, the appointee that he put in back in uh, August, uh, who, by the way, calls her dog Rhonda Santis. Uh, you saw that uh, note that, when, uh, that was written in the Times about that. But yeah, maybe we do get to see Warren versus uh, Lopez, you know, in, in the fall of 2024. It's a long time away, though. Yeah, and the question is, how does this play for DeSantis if he does run for president, you know? All these things that he's done down in Florida, how does that translate to the national stage, you know, from, from this down to, um, you know, reproductive rights and then transgender care? I mean, what's the country at large going to think you know, about you know, this we, when this comes to light? Is it, is it also, is it fair to wonder, so we know that, that this week Manatee County became yeah, a sanctuary gun county. Oh, uh, right. right. <laughs> so, so they're not going to enforce... Uh, superseding state or federal law that is more than county law. So wouldn't the same argument be made then for uh, Governor DeSantis to step in and remove the board of commissioners in Manatee right. County who've said they're going to refuse to enforce more restrictive state laws? That Manatee County Commission is very interesting, by the way. Back a, over a year ago, they were pushing to ban abortion in Manatee County just, you know, the first uh, local community to do that. And they were taking it from a model out of Texas. And it was a big deal down there. And, and again, like they're doing this, this stuff on their own. But yeah, Ben, a uh, great example. But it kind of goes back to the whole idea of like this whole education assault that the governor's been doing, saying that we don't want, uh, we want education, not indoctrination. And yet some would say what's happening at New College is exactly that when you want to aspire to a Hillsdale College uh perspective. By the way, again, if you're just tuning in, it's 1117 in the morning. You're listening to The Skinny here on WMNF. I'm Mitch Perry, the Florida Phoenix. We're joined by two rep- reporters from the Creative Loafing, uh, Justin Garcia and uh, Ray uh, Roa, and of course, Ben Montgomery, back with us from Axios. Mentioning a mem- uh, 
Let's see, uh, Manatee County. Ben, you've got a story that you wanted to talk about there. Yeah, it turns out this week a group uh, called Embracing Our Diversity, which has put up an art show, a public art show in Sarasota for the past 20 years. They're celebrating their uh, 20th anniversary this year, in fact. They pulled uh, the art show this year from the campus of State College of Florida, Manatee and Sarasota, um, because uh, the school leadership asked them to remove three pieces of art that they said were uh, could be considered offensive. Now, this art show celebrates diversity. The pieces in question, uh, one was called Good Treble, and it depicted a young man with the word justice across his chest, uh, the Statue of Liberty, some other iconic imagery. Uh, another uh, depicted uh, a quote. It had a quote from a, from a fifth grader in New Delhi, India, who said, uh, diversity and equity are the threads that stitch together a peaceful universe, something of that nature, and these were uh, these were objected to by school leadership, and so the uh, because it went against the mission of the overall art project, they decided to withdraw it from the campus of State College of Florida. State College of Florida leaders uh, pointed uh, directly to the inclusion of the words diversity equity and inclusion in this artwork is the reason that they objected to it. And if you'll remember two weeks ago, uh, Governor DeSantis was on the campus of State College of Florida to announce uh, the withdrawal of funding from uh, these DIE programs in higher education in state universities. So, um, so this is part and parcel. This is the culture war, uh, as I wrote today, that's playing out like right in front of us. Um, uh, and, and what I think is, tr- well, there's a lot of troubling things here, but the self-censorship now that's being imposed because people are afraid. Right, exactly. Yeah, this, uh, th- th- these folks, it seems to me, are guessing at what they think the governor might mean when he uh, talks about diversity. Yeah, it was interesting. I was at an um, op-ed workshop at USF. Basically, professors wanted to present their research, and, and these types of DEI kind of topics came along, and the room really did get cold. And there were you know people in the room there who said, I'm not tenured or I don't feel comfortable writing this kind of op-ed um, because something could happen to me. And, and so they literally were self-censoring themselves, not you know publishing op-eds and submitting them because they were concerned about retaliation from the state. And on the flip side, you had folks who were tenured and, and they said, I'm not scared. Um, Thomas Halleck from uh, USF St. Pete wrote one uh, for Creative Loafing two weeks ago. And he basically said, you know, what DeSantis is doing to higher education um, terrifies me. Mm. And I asked him, are you sure you want to publish this, professor? And he said, I'm not scared. Well, I guess he hasn't done anything about the tenure system. Can he do anything about that? I guess is the well, next that's question. the next part, right? Yeah. 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 Again, if you're just tuning in right now, by the way, if you want to contribute here to the conversation, we'd love to hear from you. 813-239-9663 here on The Skinny. Um, we heard from uh, from Dr. Lars A. Hoffner, former president of State College of Florida, just wrote me an email this morning. I find it offensive and backward leaning that the school's leadership has chosen to remove artwork that celebrates diversity. SCF has been a place for intellectual discernment and growth, thoughtful reflection for widening the width and breadth of the student's ability to grapple with the world around him. Art is but one way to help educate and challenge a student's thinking. Uh, Lots and lots of email responses similar to this line of thinking. Folks are offended by this. I want to know at what point we can use all these school vouchers to go attend these uh, private pseudo-public private schools where all these ousted, quote-unquote, woke uh, instructors now teach. Right. right. You know, going back to DeSantis in terms of the electability factor, if you will, uh, there was a great piece by Nate Cohn in the New York Times this week. Uh, you know, we're really early on, right? We're Feb- February here. Um, although in previous cycles, this early on, you had presidential 
full on. I, I was almost, it was in New Hampshire almost eight years ago to the day where all 17 Republicans met for the first time in New Hampshire uh, that would ultimately result in Donald Trump a year and a half later. But the cycle is moving slower this time around. But this Nate Cohn piece talked about how, you know, the, 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 you know this is how the media works. So, the, you know, DeSantis has been hyped up a lot nationally in the last few months. And now they're ready to like go, well, maybe he's not going to be all that. Maybe he's not going to play so well on the national stage, which we don't know yet. And they're comparing him in some cases to Scott Walker, the former governor of Wisconsin, who was hyped up before the 2015, during that cycle, you know, mentioning. And in fact, um, and he, you know, he just was terrible, Walker, right? He, he had no staying power at all. And so maybe it's not Scott Walker. And the thing is, is that in terms of the poll numbers, he is doing the best numbers this early on. There were six people he compared him to um, in recent cycles. And the two that really stood out were Barack Obama at the stage in 2007 and Ronald Reagan at this stage. Uh, I believe it was the second time when Reagan ran. Of course, he ran in 76 the first time. And, and, and Cohn said that those people were known best because of these speeches they gave before, you know, getting on the national stage. In the case of Obama, his uh, great speech in the t- 2004 Democratic National Convention. Reagan, a famous speech, I think it was in 66, way back when, before he, you know, he's even governor around that time. He already got on the map nationally. Uh, and DeSantis, because not because of speeches or anything like that, it's because of these policies that he's doing here and the fact that he won a 19-point election, re-election bid uh, three months ago, that he is so rep- reported on by the national press. And he, we all see it every day, you know, it, it's and it's, um, you know, Esquire yesterday had I, I had something, I get an email from them, you know, um, there's a Ron Brown seeing the Atlantic today. Everybody is writing about Ron DeSantis. So the point being is, though, is that it makes sense, by the way, for him to take his time announcing when he's going to officially run, because what what's the point about that other than getting some, you know, well, whatever. I mean, like we've seen with Nikki Haley this week, you kind of get attacked immediately. But uh, he's just doing fine, thank you, in terms of name recognition. He is going to go on this book tour in a couple of weeks. And of course, the legislative session begins next month where he'll be, there'll be a lot more other policies going through. And there's going to be national media, probably, I'm sure, in Tallahassee uh, for that. Um, I think we got some calls coming in. Yeah, we do. I think we've got Mac here from Tampa. Why don't we take Mac? Mac, you're on the air. Hi. Uh, very quickly, great show. I'm mindful of the fact that anecdotes aren't data, and my experience may not be representative. I practiced law for a long time, and then I retired in 2016 from law. got certified to teach exceptional students in middle school. And I can tell you, with respect to the topic, a lot of people underestimate the efficacy of self-censorship and the tendency of folks who are living paycheck to paycheck as teachers are. If there is even the suggestion of a line, these hardworking, good, principled people will make darn sure that they're not going to get terminated. This administration, the DeSantis administration, has shown no reluctance whatsoever to terminate people, no matter their position and no matter the facts. And so self-censorship is very, very real. Well, and it's not just termination we're talking about. Uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the threat of a third-degree felony in some cases for presenting material to children that might be uh, considered indecent. Uh, so we're talking yeah. about criminal prosecution potentially, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, but thanks, that's Matt. a threat. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, no, no, you're quite, you're quite correct about that. And as a lawyer, I can guarantee you, just like the folks that were rustled up to be arrested on the voter fraud charges, mm-hmm. no, no. 
conscientious prosecutor is actually going to push that case. But it scares people to death. Because if you've been involved in the criminal justice system in any way, shape, or form in this country, and particularly if you're lower income or in other groups, you steer far clearer of anything that's a first-degree felony. Thank you, Matt, for the phone call. And that's a great point about the voters, because if you remember, I went to that press conference. It was in Fort Lauderdale when DeSantis announced five days by the way, Broward, the biggest Democratic county in the state, five days before the primary election, which he wasn't on the ballot for that, that they had made these 20 arrests. Um, I think it was very strategic, you know, when they announced that then in terms of chilling some people who maybe weren't sure. And we've got a whole issue about that. People who aren't certain felons who may or may not think oh, they have their right uh, voting rights restored. I'm not going to go dare do that now, you know. Hey, Mitch, uh, Spaceship, can we call out to a lawyer um, from here? No. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Come get some text. So, James, yeah. if you, if you do want to call in, yeah, we'll James, catch you call in. Yeah. Eight one three two three nine nine six six three. Let's go to another call right now. Let's go to Simon in Lakeland. Hi, Simon. You're on uh, the skinny. Hi. Good morning, gentlemen. Learning is a risk. Self censorship. Where were the journalists on Solomon Rushdie? Where hmm. were the journalists on Charlie Hebdo? Would you back uh, Mr. Rogers going to New College and showing the video? of when he said a boy is a boy, a girl is a girl, and you can't change. I mean, I wasn't around when Mr. Rogers did that, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure we'd cover that. Would you, would you, would you uh, disagree well, that someone should be able to go to New College and discuss that? I didn't see the journalist backing Charlie Hebdo. I didn't see the journalist backing Solomon Rushdie. Why? Because you were afraid. Self-censorship. Am I not correct? I mean, I'll take that. I mean, I, I I was very young when that was happening, and I can guarantee you that with the full bandwidth of everything that we have, uh, we cover as much stuff as we possibly can. Uh, we've not backed down from full well, coverage. Well, Simon, that. I know in terms of Rushdie, uh, you know, there was actually a, a, a David Remnick, I think, interviewed him right in the New Yorker last week yeah. about after his uh, the terrible thing that happened to him uh, last year. He's lost an eye now, he right? Yeah, and you're, you're talking about, uh, and that story talked about how there was there was many report writers who did back Rushdie, and there were some who didn't. Uh, John LeCarrie, I think, was one who kind of criticized him. Um, and uh, so, uh, but but I think I, I don't think it's fair to say like everybody ran away from Solomon Rushdie after well, the, yeah. the only one that really stood out was Christopher Hitchens at that time. No, he was not the only one. I no, that's not well, true. That's not true. Well, I, I mean, no. No, I know respectfully no, but anyway, well, so I, yeah. Okay, I, yeah. I I I disagree with you, but that's fine. At least we're discussing it. But yeah. the narrative is always about the marginalized, and it's it, it's going to be an issue at hand of who gets supported and who doesn't get supported mm-hmm. in public opinion. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that, I, I get you where you're coming from on that, uh, and I think it's a little whether it's the hand of government, um, you know, which is what's happening here. Uh, and again, like Ben said, I mean, there's criminal penalties assigned. Uh, it's got a chilling effect for sure. Yeah. Thanks for the call, Simon. Can we oh, uh, see yeah. if we can squeeze uh, James Shaw in here? He's a oh yes, he's yes, a lawyer with uh, the Greater yeah. Tampa ACLU. Yeah, James, you're uh, you're on the skinny. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Can you all hear me? Yes, sir. Yeah, you want to talk about the Warren case? Sure. You were asking for um, you know, kind of an explanation yeah. of the, the legalistics of the the Andrew Warren case. So. Under the Florida Constitution, the governor can suspend people, and there's, there's a list of things he can suspend elected officials for, like drunkenness and incompetence and, and so forth, which I guess maybe in 1885 when they were 
drafting the Florida Constitution, that was a concern that some rural county might elect the town drunk to a, a official position and the governor would need to deal with that. The remedy that's set forth in the Constitution for uh, an appeal of the governor's decision is to have a trial in the Florida Senate, which, of course, Andrew Warren had no reason to believe he could ever get a fair trial there. Uh, but what, he, what his lawyers did, and it was kind of brilliant, was they invoked case law uh, called the Connick Pickering Doctrine. And that is two U.S. Supreme Court cases about when you can and can't fire somebody who's a, a public employee for their First Amendment activities. It, it basically says if you're engaging in First Amendment activities outside of work and it's not interfering with your job, you can't be fired for that. That was the, the Pickering case where a, a teacher wrote a letter to the editor that criticized the school board, mm. and um, they said that he could not be fired for that. But the Connick case, which, interesting enough, is Harry Connick Sr., the, the singer's father. He was the state attorney in New Orleans, and he was allowed to fire somebody who was circulating something in the office and coming up the works of, of their office. So that's kind of like the line is, as long as it doesn't interfere with your job, you can't fire someone for exercising their First Amendment rights. And so they argued that, that that, was, that, that trumps the Florida Constitution remedy, that, um, that, that the First Amendment rights were violated under the Connick-Bickering case law. And basically, the, the judge, Judge Hinkle held, you're right, but I don't have the power to do anything about it. So... What, what he's now done is uh, well, there was a petition for the governor that says, do the right thing. Well, no one really thought that was going to happen. And then um, what he's asking now is for the Florida Supreme Court to take those factual findings by Judge Hinkle and instead of relitigating them, treat that as established fact, which under, under laws generally you don't have to litigate the same thing twice, and then reinstate them based on the factual findings of, uh, of the federal court. He's way off the roadmap. I've never seen anything like that before. There's plenty of cases going back to the, the early 20th century where, where courts have said, I'm sorry, your only remedy is to go have a trial in the Senate. The courts of the state of Florida are powerless to do anything about it. So I don't know if that's going to take precedence over, um, you know, where it's going to be a, first, a case of first impression for the Florida Supreme Court. But if you wanted an explanation for kind of the inside baseball of where that case currently is, it's right there. I do think it's a long shot, but I'm, I'm impressed with what they've done so far with having that much to work with legally. Well, James, I really appreciate you calling in and giving us that uh, that, that uh, legal breakdown. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. That's James Shaw from the uh, ACLU here in Tampa. Okay, we're going to take a slight break so we can bring our guests in. So just hold on. We'll be back with the skinny in just a few seconds.
Okay, welcome back to The Skinny here. If you're tuning in here on WMNF 88.5 FM, it's 11.34 in the morning. And now we're joined in the studio uh, with by Deanna and Andrew Joseph. They are the parents of the late Andrew Joseph III. Again, to refresh your memories, Andrew Joseph III was attending Student Day at the State Fair at the fairgrounds in Tampa on February 7th of 2014. There was some action with several teenagers, which led to 99 teens, including Andrew, being detained by the Hillsborough County Sheriff's deputies and subsequently ejected from the fair. But Andrew's parents were never notified that their son was ejected. And then Andrew uh, Joseph III attempted to cross I-4, and he was tragically hit by an auto and, and killed. So for over the last eight years or so, the family fought the sheriff's office to be held accountable about how that situation was handled. But the sheriff's office invoked qualified immunity, a law that protects officers from civil suits and keeps information from being released. But in September, the family was awarded $15 million in a wrongful death lawsuit against the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office. And Deanna and Andrew Joseph are now with us in the studio. Welcome to you both. Uh, Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. Good morning. And thank you for the platform. We're happy to be here on Skinny. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. And, and we're, by the way, we're joined by Justin Garcia from Creative Loafing, who Justin covered a lot of the trial last uh, fall here. Uh, so uh, I'm going to have Justin take over some of the questions. I guess I'll start, though, if I could. Um, I guess the thing is, let's start with the most recent here in September when, when that verdict came down. Um, you know, it's been such a long, uh, arduous journey for you since that time. What, what, that, what did that mean for you guys when, when that verdict came down? It meant um, redeeming my son's name, showing the world that he was not guilty, that he had not committed a crime, and valuing the sense that when we, we fight, we win, and why we can never give up in our fight, no matter how long it takes. It took nine years to get to that point where a 14-year-old voice was able to be unmuted and the world was able to see that he was just a little boy going to the fair and these adults were the super predators in this whole situation. So it's, it's been um, a long road. I wish I can say that September was the end, but you have to realize that these people are protected by qualified immunity and it's always lurking at every corner of the earth. And we, the people in all these situations are at their beck and call waiting for them to just give us a little mercy from the suffering. And this group has gave us no mercy. They have allowed our suffering to last for nine years and counting. You would think it would be over, but it's still not over. And um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a situation now where as you look at this as a regular citizen and you, you just say at every t- twist and turn, this is an unfair system. And when will it ever end? When will we ever be equal? When will it ever be a balanced scale for justice? And um, I don't, I don't have hope in that. I don't have hope in that. You don't. Um, the last time I spoke to you, you were celebrating your birthday by flying from Tampa to Houston to fight for another family who's gone through a similar situation. 
And I'm wondering if you can talk about, you know, kind of the widespread effect of what you're, what you're saying, where there's so much protection for these officers, even when they're blatantly involved with wrongdoing, and what you're seeing as you're going around to other families around the country. The blueprint is the same. The transparency is unavailable. There is no accountability. There's no integrity in their ability to be real to the people they harm. And as much as we go around and we say, we never want this to happen to another family, it just keeps happening. And it always looks the same. No accountability. Betrayal of trust. Now, can somebody just to know uh, qualified immunity? What can we yeah. define that? Do you, do you all want to break down qualified immunity? Yeah, for qualified immunity is uh, something that's been put in place to basically make the uh, police untouchable. Mm-hmm. And right now, as far as the families are concerned, the police that we're dealing with in America is the strong arm for white supremacy, and racism is the biggest problem on the planet. And this is a this is a protection that's been put in place to protect racism. I mean, even after you get a fifteen million dollar verdict, there's still five, six more steps that's put in line <laughs> before you can even touch a penny. Well, tell us about that. I mean, <clears throat> it gives the police or the state agency able to file appeal after appeal after appeal after appeal. Every appeal ties you up for another six to 18 months. As me and you as regular citizens, we have to, we have to wait till we get a verdict to file an appeal. An appeal can be filed at any juncture of the case as far as the sheriff is concerned. In the beginning, when, at the discovery, when we're just not getting information, he files an appeal. During the mediation, he files an appeal. Uh, during settlement judgment, he files an appeal. After the verdict, he files an appeal. And that's what takes you to nine years. This is set up to kill you. This is the hardest thing in the world to have to go to the graveyard to visit your child. This is set up to break up your home, to break up your family. This comes with a hospital visit. This is going to dig deep, deep, deep into your pocket. This is psychological warfare. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I was burnt up, 90% of my body, I can go to a burn recovery center and get therapy. If I was suffering from cancer, I can go to a cancer recovery mafia type of place and get, the, uh, and get the services that I need. But when your child is killed by the negligence of the police, if you, if you, if your loved one is killed from pure racism, there's no therapy for that. There's uh-huh. no place that you can go. And if you're not even standing in my shoes, you can't give me direction. This is not something that you can teach out of a book. How do you cope with it on the daily if there is no therapy for it? You said helping other families can sometimes be and a therapy. And, and that's what we start out to do in, at the very beginning was write a blueprint for this. Mm. So the next set of souls that have to come through this path won't have to stand in these same shoes that we're standing in. So since day one, we've been writing a blueprint, and at this point, we're able to deliver in black and white to you as a person that never wants to be a part of this club, that has just joined this club of uh, parents bearing children. And it's a how-to. 
what you need to do in these first 48 hours, 72 hours, which is the most important time in your case. Because whatever narrative the police or the uh, authorities are gathering for their report probably has nothing to do with the truth. So you have to have somebody on the ground with their head on tight asking these questions to the witness because, you know, after 72 hours or so, 3 o'clock is going to turn to 6 o'clock, and that green shirt is going to turn to a red shirt. So you have to have somebody on the ground getting that information for you. The pictures being taken, the statements being taken, because, you know, when this happens to you, your mind is shot. Yeah. There's a brick wall that just fell on you. I misspelled my last name on my son's death report because I wasn't there mentally. And, you know, when it's when it's time for you to get your mind back, when it's time to, for you to gather your voice and, you know, it's something I need to do, now now statute of limitation comes in. Right. <laughs> And, I'm, I'm, and, gonna, I'm sorry, oh. I just want to make sure, remind our listeners, if you're just tuning in right now, we're speaking to Deanna and Andrew Joseph. They are the parents of the late Andrew Joseph III. Andrew Joseph III was attending student day at the State Fair at the fairgrounds in Tampa back on February 7th of 2014 when he was ejected and Andrew Joseph III died uh, leaving the park on I-4. The family has been, as you've heard here in the last few minutes, uh, battling that ever since, battling the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office. They were rewarded uh, back, or they won an award of uh, $15 million uh, wrongful law- death. But uh, you haven't even collected that yet. Not a penny, brother. And um, I kind of wanted to ask here, um, Ms. Deanna, you talked about the blueprint on the other side that's held upheld qualified immunity, and Mr. Andrew introduced this idea, and, and you talked a little bit about these hard steps, black and white instructions for what to do when this happens this weekend. Um, you've organized uh, a memorial weekend for Andrew. Tonight there's a vigil uh, near the fairgrounds um, Saturday morning um, in Brandon. Uh, there's a kickoff for a 12-week training curriculum that you have. Um, you've encouraged folks from the community of all ages who are interested in what you're talking about um, to come. There'll also be a fundraiser on Saturday in Ebor and then a breakfast uh, together. Can you talk about this weekend, how it's come together, and, and what you want to teach uh, people this weekend and how they can take part in that? Yes, um, this weekend is a compassionate journey weekend in memory of Andrew Joseph III. And this is just us sharing the legacy of Andrew with the community. And people from all over the states are coming in who have been part of this journey for nine years and um, loving our family, supporting our family and building our community with our family. So we want to use this weekend as an avenue to be able to uplift the memory of Andrew because that is what we can control. Um, uplifting his memory and having the world say his name. So the sacredness of this weekend will um, create um, Friday night, um, just the land in which he died. You know, we're going to lay a reef out for Andrew in the actual place on the interstate where his precious blood was shed. Um, pour libation and um, the light brigade will be there on Friday on tonight at 6 p.m. illuminating I-4 the actual um, interstate in which he was killed so then Saturday is our power up workshops and it's so important when people realize they have power to make change so we want to teach our young people that they do have the rights they do have the understanding and their parents should support them in um, 
being the creators of change. So the Power Up Workshops is at the Brandon Library. And of course, the um, comedy show, as well as um, a movie presentation of Andrew and just a journey of how um, we've looked and um, sought high and low from 2014 to now, um, the places we've gone, the people we've met, and um, the the legislation uh, that still sits and um, and and waiting uh, for a signature, the Andrew Joseph the Third Act that Congressman Alan Grayson introduced. So um, a lot has been done. A lot of work has been um, put forward in creating um, the change we want to see in our community. And um, we just hope that the community understands and realizes that um, this was all about uh, preserving the community from ever having to endure. And if you haven't learned anything from us, I hope that you've learned courage. I hope that you learn that endurance and that um, we as a people, we can, we can, create the the change we need to see in our communities yeah and and this work that you're doing speaking of the change that we need to see when you go around the country i know you said it's similar where you run into these similar scenarios but is there anything different that you see or different obstacles in different states when you're bringing this to other families who are suffering or even other families in florida because i know there are a few situations like that yeah every environment is uh is different every community is different uh different communities uh require different needs and we have a a toolbox full of kind of know how you know some families may need money you know to bury their child who has life insurance on a twelve year old on a fourteen year old mm-hmm. so you know we're able to put a GoFundMe's together and organize that actions some people are just need boots on the ground, don't have family, you don't have anybody to stand up. So we, uh, we organize with families all around the country. We're expecting uh, Michael Brown to be in town this, uh, this weekend, as well as our Oscar Grant uh, family is going to be here. So any, in, any, anywhere this happened, we have somebody in your state that's able to, uh, to, to, to reach out to you. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's therapy in itself. It's therapy in itself to be able to provide, to provide this blueprint to young families because uh, this is something that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. Yeah. You know, it strikes me that in many ways it sounds like um, after uh, uh, early 20th century lynchings, the NAACP would send in an investigator, and often it was like a liberal white preacher who would go into some small town in the South and try to figure out what really happened because they couldn't trust the authorities. And what you said about having somebody, having somebody with their wherewithal there to take statements and to just uh, observe and to make notes right after the fact seems like such an important thing that no one would think about unless you all, you know, tell them. And it's really the elephant that's in the room. I it mean, is. And it's uh, and this kind of incident also brings out. Uh, a den of snakes that's here to take advantage of you. What do you mean? Um, when this happens to you, you are no longer the father of your child. Mm. Your child now belongs to the world. Mm. And sadly enough, the world is trying to profit off of your child. So now you have T-shirts all over the place with your child's name on it. There's a five, six GoFundMe in your child's name. And uh, mm. 
there's people that's trying to get next to you and pull you in this direction and that direction and there's these big old organizations that's supposed to be having your best interests at mind and you know and nobody's really doing what's necessary but they're pulling you in nine directions so these families need a whole lot of clear direction and we're able to give that to them and you know it's a it's a blessing in itself but uh i mean you know this is an organization that nobody wants to be in. Right. Mm-hmm. Can you guys tell me, you mentioned there's events going on this weekend. Um, can you, is there uh, listeners, if they wanted to know more, is there someplace online they can get more information about this? Yes. Go to the foundation, www.andrewjosephfoundation.com. And um, you can find us on Facebook as well, um, Instagram, uh, Justice for Andrew. And um, link up with us, contact us, let us know. Um, if you want to be part of this work, uh, it's, it's, it's long suffering work, but it is definitely, um, a necessary work. So, um, we, we look forward to, um, just building more and creating a, a, a brick and mortar location where, um, we can provide support groups and therapy for families impacted as our family has been impacted. And, and that's what this weekend is really about, um, building funds so that we can have our own location, a home site to be able to work and create these workshops as well as um, provide community and retreat and respite for our families who are dealing with this every day because they are ultimately serving the life sentence mm-hmm. and um, they get no time off. Yeah, and, and that was actually the last time we spoke as well. I think that was the one thing we laughed about is when I asked, you know, like, how long can you do this? You know, because it's hard work, it's taxing. And one of the things you brought up is that's the point of this project coming up that you're working on, of these workshops, is to lead a new generation into fighting for these important things for justice for families across the country. And, of course, it's our job to, uh, to work ourselves out of business. And that will be a a total success. But uh, as far as I know, and I'm at Mitch age, and uh, I would bow to the seniors in the room, uh, uh, the seniors that's listening. But you know, it, it's really not a matter how ho- how old you are. But I can guarantee you, in your lifetime, you have never turned on the television and seen a white body laying on the ground ever. Now, I want you to flip that and just imagine how many black bodies you have seen laying on the ground on that same television. By the way, we have a, a caller. I think Alvaro wants to talk uh, to you guys. Uh, Alvaro, you're on the WMNF. Yes, thank you for taking my call. Uh, my feelings go out to the uh, Joseph family. Uh, thank you, on the other hand, I wanted to ask, why wasn't WMNF present during the court proceedings? And and I have something to say about the previous topic, but I, I don't want to step on on this very important uh, cover, uh, story that you're covering. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Alvaro. Uh, well, we're not none of us were working here in the station last fall, so I, I don't think we can really answer that. I can say that I was at every day of yeah. the court proceeding covering it for Creative Loafing Tampa Bay, and that's another interesting thing to talk about. Right is. Being there every day, it's hard as a reporter to be there, and it's way harder for you guys because it's all day long, no electronics, just jotting down, trying to keep notes of what's going on, and then you all are having to, in that moment in the courtroom, over day after day, like relive this trauma while the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office is 
essentially what it seemed like was lying through their teeth, right? They got caught lying about, you know, arresting that, um, that one witness who could no longer be a witness anymore um, for them. Um, so can you talk, me, talk to me about that and then a little bit more about where you're at now with your case and what the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office is doing now? And whether there have been any reforms instituted. I was yeah. at the fair yesterday and wondering what, is, what, if anything, has changed in terms of how they deal with people. Well, if I can uh, address that part first, uh, there's been uh, day and night changes at the fair. When this happened, we uh, submitted a, a, a total behavior type of change for the fair. The, yeah. sher- the sheriff at the time, we had to have two funerals because originally we were from New Orleans. My son did such amazing work here in Tampa that we uh, had a funeral here, for, uh, funeral here in Tampa for him. But we had to fly the body back to New Orleans where we were originally from where he, he, he you know, he lies still today. Mm. But uh, during our second funeral was the first time that I heard from this sheriff. <clears throat> he was gathering uh, all the leaders of the community, the NAACP and the Passes on Patrol and all those kind of people. And uh, him, as a trained professional, called this meeting and his opinion was, what can I do as the sheriff to make your community behave at the fair? Mm. So at that point, I realized that you know, not long. Not only did the community have no idea what to do, but the trained professional had no idea what to do. So me and my wife sat down and we uh, we wrote down everything that went wrong with my son at the fair. And this is the changes that we submitted to the fair. And this is what we operating off of today is the Andrew Joseph safety plan. Now, if you're going through the ejection process, there's a tent with seating that you're going to be set down. A telephone call will be made to your parent, and your parent can come down retrieve you from the fair if you're going through this process. What it saves my son's life that night. One phone call. Uh, now there's mobile lighting that's in the parking lot because at one point, if you went there during the daytime and you parked your vehicle, it was hard to find your vehicle if you were still there overnight because it was so dark. There's a fence that runs around the uh, the interstate as well as the fairground now. D- during 2014, that wasn't there. You was able just to walk up on the interstate. Right now, we uh, the tickets were able to be swapped from one student to the other student. Now you have to show an ID with the tickets. In this particular year, they did away with the tickets, period, because I think the school board is trying to get completely out of the picture. Mm. Okay, so there was no amplifying system in uh, fairgrounds at all. This is why the fair closed early and you was basically put out at the gate that was closest to you. There was only five, there was over 5,000 911 calls on this fair that particular night between 8.30 and uh, 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 12.30 that night. Apparently, people didn't know where they were. People didn't know where the kids were. Wow. Yeah, so they didn't have uh, cameras in the fair at the time. They had like three cameras and and two of those wasn't working. And that next night, there were more police present than there were pedestrians because there was short staff the night before when my son died. And they had cameras everywhere. So, you know, it was day and night changes that happened over this fair. And remind you, this fair's been going on for over 100 years. It originally, it took place in, uh, in North Tampa before they got this place over there. And, you know, it's been racist for many, many, many years because... Back in the 60s and uh, 50s and 60s, the uh, the black po- folks weren't allowed to go to the fair. 
with the white folks. So the black folks had their own particular day to go to the fair, which was known as Negro Day, mm -hmm. which transformed to uh, Student Day, which was another total catastrophe, to where we are now. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. It transferred to Midnight Madness, mm -hmm. which was a t total catastrophe, to where it is now Student Day. And since my son's death, we moved that Student Day family. to Family Day. And we have asked that the... Uh, that the tickets not only be given to the uh, the kids, but give the parents a free ticket. And as a result, they say the parents have to be involved at, at 6 o'clock mm -hmm. now. But, you know, yeah. uh, last point. Uh, but for the longest, we've been strong on to participate in this fair because I have the whole complete day off of school. I have a free ticket and everybody in the neighborhood is going. But most parents don't get off to 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And society already shows us you can't even go to Chuck E. Cheese without your parent. Mm. You can't get a cookie from Publix without your parent. But you're almost being strong on to attend this fair without your parent. And right now, if uh, I had an average drummer with a gun permit, I, I, I could show this gun permit at the gate and be allowed to come in the fair Which with my guns. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you can't come wow. in there with no knife. Yeah. Again, you've been listening right. to the voices of, of Andrew Joseph and Deanna Joseph. They are the parents of the late Andrew Joseph III, uh, who, again, was tragically killed back in February of 2014 at the Florida State Fair. Uh, and they are having a weekend, this weekend, uh, events going on to uh, move on in terms of helping out other people and may ever be in this terrible situation. We're out of time right now, but we really appreciate you folks coming in today and telling us where you're at right now. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank and uh, you. if you want more information on that, it is um, andrewjosephfoundation.com that weekend. So uh, you're listening to WMNF Tampa right now. This has been The Skinny with Mitch Perry, Justin Garcia, Ben Montgomery, and myself. And thank you so much to the Joseph family uh, for coming. So it's andrewjosephfoundation.com if you want more information. And we will be back, of course, next week. I'll be fundraising. We'll also have a debate between the Tampa City Council District 4 race, Bill Carlson and Blake Casper. So please tune in for that. Until then, thanks so much for listening. This is WMNF Tampa.